Welcome to Story Talking, episode 12. This episode, my guest is Monica James, who is a writer, a novelist, poet, uh, filmmaker. She is someone that I actually found through a YouTube video. She, I would suggest you look her up on YouTube. Uh, just type Monica James, War of the Words. And it's this, it's this poem about uh, that she wrote about her mom and her relationship with her mom. And we talk about it in the episode as well. But I saw this video and I was like, I, I need to talk to this person. I, I want to know more about, about her story. And then the more I found out, the more, you know, fascinated I was with, with her journey. So uh, this is uh, one of our, one of those episodes where it's, it's not a community member. But it's it's just someone that I wanted to talk to and and share with you, uh, and the the idea is to have her inspire you because uh, she is an inspiring story, and uh, this was a really fun conversation. Monica lives; uh, she's from India, but she's been living in in San Francisco for the last few years. So another Skype conversation. Um, still trying to do more in person, but. Uh, for now, another, but this, the quality of this is, is completely okay. It's, it's really good. So I hope you enjoy this episode. Here is episode 12 of Story Talking with Monica James. So I, I grew up in Dehradun. Okay. And uh, I went to school in Dehradun, then I was in college in Shimla for a bit, okay. and then I, I ran away to Bombay. Uh, <laughs> well, like, finish, without finishing that college, or you went to another college? Uh, no, I, I graduated. Um, okay. I, I did my uh, BA in English Honors, and then I... Well, I had this vague sense of what I wanted to do. Um, mm. I knew that I wanted to kind of be sort of in the media, but I think partially uh, part of the reason why I thought that was because uh, that was the only sort of like um, creative profession that I could imagine. Right. Um, um, given where I was from, because the only other sort of like working options for girls like me from lower middle class backgrounds in Dehradun were to teach. Right. And my folks are teachers. Uh, my yeah. parents are teachers too. So it was all, it was assumed that you know you do your BA, you do your BEd, and then you become a teacher. And I was a little uh, dissatisfied with right. uh, with lack of options. Right. And so I thought I'm gonna like go to Bombay, and I don't know like uh, be. I didn't even know what a copywriter was, but I was like, right. I'm gonna make films or films or something and obviously it's going to happen for me because I, I was convinced that I was like you know I was super creative and all of that sure. yeah. <laughs> that and, and this is around when you're like 20 I'm guessing 2021 right like college yes. time okay yeah um and you just and then, knew that that was that was that was the path okay. uh yeah kind of it was super misguided but I mean, it's, I, I have, I, I'll, I'll tell you my story later about my 20, my decision at 20, and this would not be, like, you're, you were doing fine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, so I, I showed up in Bombay and I didn't know anybody. Um, uh, I just knew like one friend from, so I went to, I went to, um, throughout my life, I've been in, um, these super strict convent schools. Okay. Um, and even for my undergrad, I went to uh, a college that was run by really, really strict nuns. And so we, we were in a boarding. And these are uh, girls only schools, right? Yeah. These, right. Uh, well, the, the, my high school was co-ed, but okay. the place where I did my undergrad was a girls only school. And it was super strict, uh, which has a really interesting effect on the people that you're uh, there with, which is that yeah. you feel like it feels like boot camp. And then yeah. you bond with each other in this really in the way that only trauma bonds. People. Yeah, because you're <laughs> suffering together. Yeah. yeah, you're just yeah. like, oh, my God, we're going to survive this. And then what's <laughs> the ah, we're going to be best friends forever. Um, right. Yeah. Uh, one of these girls knew somebody in Bombay, so um, so I went there based entirely on like one connection that I had uh, from college. Um, yeah, and then I landed up, and then I I got an internship at an ad agency, and I really wanted to write, but I had yeah. no idea about like how ad agencies work. So they were like, "Oh yeah, sure, you come on board," and then. I didn't get to write ever because they, they made me like <laughs> client servicing. Sure. Uh, which, by the way, super weird job description. Like, what is, what is, that sounds so wrong. It does sound wrong. I, I was going to yep. say, yeah, it doesn't sound right. <laughs> anyway, so I, uh, I, I was there for almost like seven, eight months because I was like, at some point, they're going to switch me over to the copywriting side of things. Right. Um, but that didn't happen. So I quit. Uh, yeah. And then I worked for this media and arts collective, uh, called camp and they were setting up a public access digital media archive. It sounds, it's so the acronym for it. And the name of the website is Padma. Okay. And they were, um, they were basically collecting footage from documentary filmmakers, um, people who were just, uh, people who weren't really filmmakers, but were documenting Bombay or Delhi at a certain point of time. But there were all these incredible, incredible stories that people didn't have access to because maybe they didn't make it to the final cut of the film. Right. Um, and so I was helping kind of annotate that, edit that, uh, helping them put it up on their platform because it was available for anybody to use. Um, yeah, so I did that. And then I, and then I was like, okay, I like this. I want to be vaguely in the media space, but I want to be in an alternative media space. I didn't want to be in advertising right. or mainstream media. And so, so you were I went checking and did, off boxes like, okay, maybe not this, but you were learning and you were like, okay, maybe not this, but maybe this. Yes, it was a process of elimination. Right. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, and then I did a postgrad in... Um, in media uh, and then I went and started working for a media and arts collective in Bangalore called Mara okay. which was incredible because a large part of what we did there was we worked with uh, community radio reporters uh, from across in India very often from urban poor or rural communities okay. um, 
and we worked with these uh, radio reporters to help them create programming that was relevant to the communities that they were from. Okay. Um, so, and that was incredible because I got to work with a lot of like women reporters and they wanted to tell stories of women in their communities, but they, you know, they wanted to make, they wanted to make sure that the stories that they were telling weren't just stories that they were telling because they felt like it. Right. They right. wanted to make sure that they told the stories that the women wanted to hear. Um, so yeah, so that was really cool. So that was one part of the work I did. And then we were also organizing uh, public art events in Bangalore around um, people's access to public spaces. We organized storytelling events, um, poetry evenings, poetry reading evenings, and film right. screening. It was, it was a good mix of uh, media and art and just, uh, yeah, it was, it was a community of really, really creative, wonderful people who were working in Bangalore at the time, uh, just coming together. Uh, and doing some, I think, some good work. We did some good work. And and around, so you said you did your postgrad. Was that also from Bangalore or Mumbai? Where was that? Uh, that was in Mumbai. Uh, okay. I went to uh, Sophias. They had a they had this incredible program called Social Communications Media, run by this amazing woman, uh, Jaru Mula. She was the head of department, and she was absolutely, absolutely committed to creating an entire generation of women in media who yeah. were going to tell stories that were a little bit different from, from I don't know, maybe the stuff that we were seeing in Bollywood. Sure, uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, if, like, if, women, if women are in charge of deciding what stories are told, then of course that's going to help tell more mm -hmm. stories about women. Yeah. Exactly. So when you were when when you said that you were working with the Media Art Collective in in Bangalore and doing all those stories about the community stories, so what was your role in in that aspect? Like, were you the one like talking to these women, and and or were you involved in like the production aspect or the the setting it up aspect? Like, what was that? Um. So I was uh, working as so we 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 like to call ourselves facilitators. Right. Because we knew we were working with people who were who were already community radio professionals, so we weren't going there and training them in right. anything because they could make programs. And also, that sounds a little—I mean, we felt that it sounded a little like, "Oh, look at me! I'm coming from the big city and I have all the knowledge." Right, and I'm right. Gonna on you. <laughs> I'm going to um, teach you what you have been trying to do for so long. <laughs> yeah, and so we knew that that's not the role that we were going to play. Uh, sure. So the role that we were playing was um, we were sharing with them a, a particular methodology of doing research around the kind of programming you want to create. And that research involved reaching out to members in the community, doing focus group discussions, uh, doing one-on-one -on -one interviews, trying to identify what it is that women want to talk about, and then designing the program based on your findings um, so designing the format of the program, whether you want to be a you want it to be a magazine format, do you want it to be like a, I don't know a fictionalized drama series? Um, so we would work with them on that, and we would map out like an episode series because a lot of times. Um, so what would happen very often is that they would pick one issue. 
Yeah. So they would say, we're going to work on domestic violence and they would make one episode about it. And in their heads, like they're thinking, this is great, right? We've addressed the issue that somebody wanted to talk about and is important to our community. But one episode is is not enough to address address an issue that is super complex. Right. Um, so we worked with them on on creating series out of out of based on an issue uh, so that because we recognize that a lot of times the things they wanted to address and they had all the best intentions. The thing is just that the things they wanted to address were super complex and you, you couldn't possibly like speak about all the different aspects of it right. uh, in one episode. So yeah, we were, we were basically working with them on research and program design. Okay. So, I mean, this is one of those things I'm always curious about when I, when I see how people put these things together, because I think that, no matter what position you're in, when, when you're in charge of, when you feel like this, you know, there's an opportunity that I can tell the story. Uh, I think so many times, maybe this is something that experience teaches you, but the way it is presented and how it is communicated, like in what form is so Mm -hmm. important to the, to the story. And you sometimes like, I think sometimes the creators are not probably not the best people to decide how this thing should be presented because perhaps they'll be focusing too much on one aspect of the story. But when it comes to to telling that story, you have to think from the audience's point of view, like what is going to engage them rather than, Mm -hmm. you know, because you don't want to, I guess you don't want to end up with something that is so, uh, so focused on one thing that the, Mm -hmm. it misses the point of what the whole purpose of that story was, I think. So, is that something that you started uh, seeing when you were working there? Like how to, not only what kind of stories you're interested in, but how to present that story? Yes, absolutely. And I think what we discovered is that uh, so often uh, when when people try to do issue-based things, like they want to they address a theme, a topic, they feel like it needs to be super serious and they associate certain formats with, with that kind of seriousness. So if they're talking about, I don't know, um, so we did this incredible series called Chahak Chalk about women's uh, sexual and reproductive health right. uh, and relationships in, in, in Gurgaon okay. uh, for, a, for a community radio station called Gurgaon Kiyavas. And so we were working with them. And because they thought that the issues that the women were talking about were super serious, the first instinct of some of the reporters was that, oh, we're going to make it super fact-based. Um, yeah, and so they, they wanted a format that would fit with the seriousness right. of, of the issue. But when you speak to, when they spoke to the audiences and they, they were trying to figure out, like, what are the formats that they love? What is it that 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 really moves them in the programs that they're that they're listening on our mm-hmm. radio station right now. We discovered that people wanted an emotional connection. Right, right. Because you can learn a lot of incredible things from a fiction story as right. long as it somehow draws you in and you feel connected to it. Uh, and so they they arrived at this themselves which is that they wanted to do like a, they wanted to do like a fictionalized drama series they wanted to have this sort of like agony aunt character right uh, uh, 
who would, you know, speak in that sort of local flavor, but would sound like someone familiar, would sound like someone that could be part of their community because all sure, the research yeah. was done. Um, but yeah, so very often I feel like the, uh, I think what trips us up is, uh, I think certain expectations that we built around what kind of story needs to be told in what way, uh, as if to say that serious things cannot be talked about in a fun, yeah. I don't know, fictionalized way. So when you were growing up in, in Dehradun, like, how were you? I mean, you you talked about how like even when you went to college, you knew what you were what you want to be. Um, mm -hmm. When was the first spark of that feeling? Like I want to be telling stories somehow. Like, okay, yeah. so um, I I grew up in a home that didn't really have a lot of books around. It just right. was. My mother was a home science and Hindi teacher. My dad uh, was a physical education teacher. But it wasn't a it wasn't a reading friendly house okay. yeah. in terms of there weren't lines that I could like go and read right. but we had old copies of um, we had like these like old copies of magazines um, that was like uh, I don't I think it was life but it was one of these oh, really? like old yeah. American, yeah they were these like old American magazine and they were like we had like some 60 copies of it and I don't know why we had it, but we had it in, in a <laughs> You never asked? And no, I didn't, I didn't ask. Um, and partially because I didn't ask, but you're going to find out why I didn't ask, which is that I, I got bored one day and I started reading them. Right. Uh, and I discovered these serialized stories in them, mm -hmm. uh, which I enjoyed a lot because these were, uh, it was a, some sort of a women's magazine, I think. Right. Because the storylines always involved like some sort of a romantic plot, and uh, you have to understand, like at the, I I think I was like ten, eleven or something, and I was reading about this stuff, and like there were people kissing in the stories, right? And I was like, this is amazing. Oh, right. I love this. I get I why you didn't want to find out, right? Because they could be taken away from you. <laughs> Exactly, and they had no idea that this, this, these magazines had stories that could, you know, have objectionable material. But the sad thing is that uh, because these were just like back issues, mm -hmm. uh, we didn't have all the issues. So there was like, and these were serialized stories. So there would be, you oh, know, right. I would read episode, you know, part one, part two, and then part three was missing. Oh wow! And it was frustrating because I wanted some sort of a narrative conclusion right, like what happens right. next do they run away and get married like what happens I mean a therapist would say that this is why you wanted to become a storyteller so you could finish stories <laughs> you could make stories that actually finish <laughs> I feel like that sometimes because um that was definitely, I had a really, really strong impulse. I was, it was so frustrating, that experience of like not, not having finished stories. Right. And then, um, I, and I think that I would, I would make some of it up, right? Like, uh, sure. yeah. so we each part two of, and they, they were, I think there would be like four parts to mm -hmm. a story. Uh, they were agonizingly stretched out, which was great for me because there was a lot of material to read and right. lots of like love stories to follow. Um, but yeah, and I feel like that's that's kind of when I started to be interested in in writing and 
thankfully i figured like other i figured um other ways to get my story fix um i started getting books from the library you i'd have to switch up the covers because we weren't allowed to take out certain oh right. okay and i'm making it sound like i and I'm, I'm making it sound like i was taking out like some crazy like marquis de sade or whatever no yeah. i was i i wanted to like daniel steel or something right sure. like yeah. at 12 i mean that's that's pretty adult for mm-hmm. a 12 year old and, and those are the books that i wanted to read so i had to switch out the covers because uh yeah we weren't supposed to take those books out uh, good thing they were all hardcover i'm guessing then right you could switch out covers or were uh, they because how no. do you switch paperbacks oh cuz we you i mean you have to see our school library <laughs> they have brown paper covers on fiction oh books, i see okay. okay okay yeah they were like <laughs> they were protected okay okay yeah um Yeah and so I feel like uh, the more I got into reading um the more I wanted to write yeah. um yeah that's that's just how it happened so when was the when was the first time you do you remember like the first thing you wrote or or when you started dabbling in it what was that was it poetry was it fiction like what were you uh, doing then mm-hmm. I think I wrote some really really bad poetry. Right. I, I mean it would be weird if you poetry. said I wrote great poetry at age 10, you know. Usually everyone yeah. says that I wrote I... really bad poetry. <laughs> <laughs> it was very bad very terrible but I think um honestly though I think the first thing that I started writing was uh, I I started keeping a diary. Mm-hmm. Um and then and then that became a place that i was like oh i'm going to write a poem this is i'm having really deep feelings about how hurt i feel about i don't know my mom saying no to me for some i don't know some event that i wanted to go to or whatever mm-hmm. those kind of like angsty like preteen dramas so sure, uh, yeah. they they made up that that was my material <laughs> <laughs> you were uh, chronicling my, your life and, yeah in a, in a series <laughs> Yeah, basically. Uh yeah, so I think yeah, I think I started out with with just journaling and then it moved to poetry. Mhm. Yes. And this is around like the same time like 13, 14 or what? Yes. 13, 14. And I started you... writing when I was 10. Okay, right. So that was but I was writing like everything. Right. Yeah, it was mostly like hate my brother. Okay. He is <laughs> kind of stuff. sure sure i mean i i think i remember like having a very small like i'm flashing back to this moment which i hadn't i think it's being triggered by this conversation because i don't remember having this memory but i do now <laughs> the there was this little diary i had as a kid when i was like in third or fourth grade and i think my faintest memory is that i wrote like i hate someone at the end at the end of that diary <laughs> and i don't know why i don't know why hatred was the first thing i wanted to express in written form but i think i meant, i think i meant it maybe because it was a strong emotion <laughs> maybe uh-huh. maybe maybe our trigger maybe our strong emotions are the ones that you know seep out first possibly maybe that's why young people write about love so much cuz they're they're dealing with the the whatever is they're unable to keep in they're they're letting out i guess Yeah, I think so. I also feel like sometimes we write because we want to be kind of the stars of, you know, 
off, oh, absolutely. Off, off life I'm glad you said and it, also like I still think that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like But you know, at that age, your world is basically your family and your yeah. and 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 your school friends and you are the center of the world because you don't imagine that other people have like inner lives and like complications. Everything is about you. And so it makes perfect sense that it comes out in like stories where you're, you know, the injured party. Because yeah. you're never the person who does like nasty of things to not. people, right? Yeah, you're, you can be the like, villain of your own story unless you start to hit yourself around like 16, 17 when that starts. <laughs> Until then, you're the hero. And then like 17, the self-hatred comes in. <laughs> and then you're like, am I the villain of my own story? <laughs> I don't know. Is that is that just yeah. me? I, I don't <laughs> no, mind some validation and then you can tell me the truth later. <laughs> I don't think it's just you. Okay, uh, no, that was definitely me too. Yeah. I, I think, I mean, that thing you said, I, I was, uh, when I was like 10, when I saw The Truman Show, do you remember that movie with Jim Carrey? Yes. Yeah. I, uh-huh. for the longest time. And I don't mean that that I still don't believe it, but for the longest time, I believed that my life was also like the Truman, like the Truman Show was a fictionalized <laughs> thing made for me uh-huh. to see. So I would think that it's fiction that I believe that I'm a Truman Show <laughs> show. It's it's I'm not kidding. And then I saw The Matrix, and then I'm like, uh-huh. oh, okay, even if it's not the Truman Show, because I've traveled to places. In Truman Show, he was limited to one little town because it was a production thing, you know? Uh-huh. And I'm like, I've, uh-huh. I've seen a little bit of the world. I, I doubt they'll put that much money into making my life on TV, right? And then I started thinking <laughs> of the logistics of doing it. And then I started seeing if, if I could prove it. And then I saw The Matrix uh-huh. and I'm like, oh, it could all just be a simulation. That makes sense. You know, the future <laughs> overlords could have a big enough budget to make me feel like I'm in a simulation that's about me. And that's why we're so self-centered. <laughs> Maybe it was, yeah, I think I was justifying my self-centeredness by thinking that the script, because, I, I mean, okay, I'm mostly joking. Like 90%, I, I don't believe that. Oh, I only believe in a 10%. Of course you don't. Yeah. But mm-hmm. I do believe the simulation mm-hmm. thing. I think that's very much possible because, and like the, like the whole you know, Elon Musk thing, I do think that, and maybe, like, maybe this is something that I don't keep in the recording, you know, just so people don't think <laughs> I'm crazy or they think I'm brilliant. Either way, you know, it doesn't work in my favor. But <laughs> the I do think that the fact that we're talking about being in a simulation, if we if we are able to be if we're able to think it, that means it's possible. Mm-hmm. I think that's that's the thing about human psyche and creativity that we probably we've just been talking mm-hmm. about it for like 25 years really the simulation thing as much as the internet's been around as long as the internet's been around when talked about it mm-hmm. so i feel like it's very much possible uh sure, sure. at some point you have to give the, the the list of science fiction stuff that you're yeah, reading of course well i'm i'm like a huge fan of doctor who and okay. they did a very convincing episode about the concept of, of simulations. And I was like, there's no way they could have written this unless like they made it up. Uh-huh. And I think that's also one thing that is part of the simulation that they let uh-huh. us think that it's, it's fiction that, Oh, it can only exist in fiction. Yeah. I think 
yeah. it's one of those things, right? Like, it's like you can't pr- unprove it or disprove it. Maybe that, yeah, maybe disprove it. Similar to religion and theology and everything else, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all of that. Yeah. But, I like it. You're like a <laughs> you're like a radical believer in the world creating power of words. You're like you tell a story about it, and because we're able to tell a story about it, it is absolutely possible that that exactly. world exists. You're you're right, and like I I firmly believe that there are there are worlds in in words that we just if we can think it like, and maybe that's why I use fiction to express these thoughts because then people don't think I'm you know a little ahead of my time like that's the nicest way to say you're crazy right he was ahead of his time so I don't want (laughs) I want I want that to be said when people read my fiction but not like not about me not just yet Mm -hmm. because then they're kind of it's like they're talking about you in third person when you're there like you know that that's just weird okay so we were we were in there when you when before I went on that and that happens a lot also so when you hear this thing back that part's gonna be gone probably okay I don't know yet yeah that's why we have to record more because I just I just get excited um, so when you were so of course like I, I I reached out to you after watching the story you shared on on the commune mm-hmm. storytellers thing right. And that mm-hmm. story was, was you were talking about, about your relationship with your mom and mm-hmm. it was, when did you write that? Cause you, when was it performed and when did you write it? Um, I, I think I wrote it, um, when did I write it? Um, Damn, it was this year, um, and I performed it first for uh, um, a poetry reading series um, in San Francisco called The Quiet Lightning. Okay. Um, and then I was uh, visiting, I was in Delhi for a bit, and then I performed it for them in, when did I perform it? Uh, September? Okay, it's fairly recently. August, August, yeah. yeah, August, September, one of those, yeah. Um, yeah, so uh, I wrote it this year and I performed it this year. Uh, but obviously, like, it's it's something that I thought about a lot. Um, right. Um, I mean, it, well, you started with part- 10-year-old you was, like, I think that was, like, a part of the story, right? You were talking about <laughs> how around the age of 10 you became aware of, of, of the power of, of the language that you knew that you could use mm-hmm. in your, in your, in your relationship with your mom and how I'm just repeating it so that people know what I'm talking about. <laughs> the, that you were, I think what you said was uh, that you learned that English could be used as a shield and as artillery, right? Mm-hmm. I think something like that. And yes. so That's- what I'm curious about, like my, my curiosity when it when when it comes to these things is always about a how did it feel to be to not only be writing something so personal but sharing mm-hmm. it in in front of an audience um it felt so writing it felt 
uh, it felt very cathartic. Right. Um, uh, it and it felt it felt uh, sort of honest in a way um, in a way that maybe uh, a diary entry would feel because it was it was very confessional. Right. Um, but then again, it wasn't just. It, it was all, it was obviously crafted. It was edited multiple times, mm-hmm. and so I knew that I was I was also telling a story, and so it couldn't just be like a navel gazing exercise where I talk right. about something that I experienced uh, without having a form that would allow somebody else to enter into the experience. Um, right. um, so no, it felt cathartic, but obviously performing it in front of an audience, it felt very I felt vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also felt empowering in the way that telling, like, telling something true, can feel empowering. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, it felt a little strange because obviously I wasn't trying to set myself up as the as the good guy in the story, right? right I don't think there's right. a good guy. Um, it's just it's a complex relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not a good guy, and she's not a good guy, and we're all just like tangled up in these these strange power dynamics with right. each other. Um, but yeah, it felt it felt vulnerable but affirming to perform it. So the you said you performed it first in in San Francisco, right? Did yes. you did you keep the Hindi parts when you were performing it there, or was the audience uh, Hindi speaking? Like, how did that go? Uh, no, it was, um, I, well, there was one Hindi speaking person in the audience who was a friend of mine, Sure, yeah. but I kept, <laughs> kept, I kept Hindi words. Okay. Um, yeah, because uh, I would think that they were, they were a part of the story. Yeah. They, they had to be there. Yeah. They had to be there. And also like audiences need to do a little work to like, I don't know. I mean, I grew up reading mostly like English fiction and there was stuff in there that I had never heard. Apple cider, like what? I had no idea what that was or even marmalade for the longest time. I don't know what that was. Like (laughs) I imagined it and I I created like an image of it in my head um, so that I could, you know, the story could make sense. So I feel like it should work like across languages. Of course. I mean, that's a good point. The, if anything, people should be more intrigued by a story that not only have they not heard the story before, just the fact that you are expressing something that is that is about language, like you can't dumb it down. Or, and I guess in when you're performing in real life, you can't just bring subtitles with you. You know, you can't just have like moving subtitles across the room. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like this is what I just said. So, okay. So wh- when was the when was the first time that you you said that you organized these some of these you know when you were in Bangalore and stuff like when was the first time you performed yourself when you a poetry or uh, like a, whatever you were into um maybe I think it was two thousand ten okay uh, and uh but we didn't so we uh we didn't organize spoken word poetry events okay we were organizing reading uh, sessions but we were also so the way that we would describe it was uh, 
uh, come with a poem, your own or borrowed. Like it was, we would have a concept note for the evening. So there would be like a theme and um, say one day that the theme is city of words. And so people would come with poetry about cities or, mm-hmm. uh, and some of it would be original and a lot of it would be, they, they were just reading somebody else's work, but it was more, uh, for us, it was more important to, to create a space where uh, you could, where adults could like share poetry without feeling like super embarrassed because sure, we, yeah. I mean, me and my colleagues, we were all sort of super into poetry, writing, but we were working in, a, in an arts collective. And we realized that a lot of times people talk about it like it's it's like this shameful thing. Or at least back then we, we got the sense that people were like, oh, yeah, I like poetry. Does it make me uncool? Like it was almost like. <laughs> yeah, it's like a, it's like a secret. Yeah. Yeah. And we were like, no, this is so not cool. We know that language moves us. And uh, what do we think we're doing when we are listening to, I don't know, like old Hindi, old Hindi film songs or whatever. Right. Like. That is that the only mode in which we're allowed to like uh, I don't know respectfully. Sure, I mean you know <laughs> I think yeah. that, that's my theory is that this is why all these uh, poetry slams and gatherings and and listenings and readings happen in dark bars, so that everyone can <laughs> be like a little anonymous and then and then you know because it's it's like I don't know I think. I think it was John Green or someone said it like writers are just introverts who still want to share things with people. So it's not like, it's not like I'm completely comfortable telling you something extremely personal and deep, but I desperately want to tell it to you. So please lower the lights and then (laughs) (laughs) please let me not see your faces and please don't come talk to me afterwards. Like I, I, I mean, I never performed, I've never performed anything I've written but I'm extremely proud of, uh, like, I, I used to teach. And so that was where all my speaking experience was. And then I still give talks and stuff, but I'm never, like, I'm never putting, I'm always talking to people who are younger than me. So I always, like, don't feel, in, like, insecure about it. But if I was mm-hmm. ever, like, performing something that I wrote, I would definitely not. Like, I don't think I have that yet. Because it's, I think those are just insecurities that you have to get over eventually. But I'm still uh-huh. working on that part. Like, did you, did you seem, uh, I mean, I'm sure there are some, it's not like, I don't want to just ask how insecure you were when you started sharing poetry and, and your work, but like, I'll just give you my example and then I'll, I'll just, I'll cut out the part. Okay. So, okay. uh, I grew up watching every single movie I could find, every single TV show, every, every book books that were movies, movies that were books, everything. And mm-hmm. uh, which made me love, fall in love with storytelling, but also just intimidated the shit out of me because I was like, how can I really, like if I like what Woody, Woody Allen writes, if I like what Tarantino writes, if I like what uh, Richard Linklater writes, like how am I supposed to do that? Because... Like, show me something bad so I can feel good about the stuff I write, you know? But I was still obsessed mm-hmm. with watching the good writers and seeing how they construct stories. And then, mm-hmm. but that totally messed up with me when I started writing because I just felt like there's no way I can call myself a writer because those guys are called writers, you know? Mm-hmm. So is that something that, that happened with you where you were like, 
I do want to I do want to share something, but I don't want I really don't know if I if I have that sense of security that this is something that people are going to appreciate or or did you not care and just, you know, go into it blindly? Mm hmm. Uh-huh. This is a tricky question. Um, <laughs> but we go deep okay. on, on this podcast. Yeah. Um, so I think I'm going to answer this with a story. Great. Uh, in, in, I think in, around, in 2012, um, a group of friends and I, um, we decided to to pay homage to one of our favorite, favorite writers, um, Italo Calvino, and one of his books that we, we all kind of like really, really loved uh, called Invisible Cities, which is set up like this, right? It has uh, Kublai Khan, who has conquered pretty much the whole world at this point. And, uh, but he, you know, he's uh, sitting at the center of, of this empire, mm-hmm. but he doesn't have, the time to go in and check out all the cities that are part of his empire. So he enlists the help of Marco Polo. Okay. And he tells him to go out into the world and like come back and report to him about this about the cities that he's seeing. And so that that's the frame that's the framework of of invisible cities. And it's it's basically like a, a series of vignettes. Uh, of the kinds of cities that Marco Polo is encountering in Kublai Khan's uh, empire. Okay. So we we love this book, and we we wanted to. We were like, oh, we're gonna pay 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 an homage, and uh, we decided to write a book called Invisible Libraries, because we wanted to do for libraries what the character of Marco Polo does for cities okay. in Invisible right. Cities. Um, it was super terrifying because we were, you know, we were writing, um, uh, how do I say this? We were, we were taking on a writing project that was directly invoking Italo Galvino, a writer that we we deeply loved, right? But it didn't take us super long to write the book because we were like, oh, it's not, we're not, you know, we're not trying to create invisible cities. We're paying, you know, we're, we're paying our respects to this mm-hmm. other writer or right. that um, somehow it didn't, it didn't feel super terrifying because uh, um, it felt like we were, I don't know, we were just paying a compliment and it mm-hmm. didn't feel like our egos were our egos were attached to this work because we were like, well, I mean, we're not trying to create invisible cities. I don't know. It felt so. The only time, so it was. If one were to think of it, it was a terrifying sort of thing to do because you are by name invoking like all these writers, and then it turned out to be this elaborate, like in you know, in joke, not just invoking Calvino, but. We're talking about Borges. You're talking about all the writers and all the books because the book is about bibliophilia and right. uh, and and the role that libraries have played in our lives. Um, but it didn't feel terrifying because we weren't setting ourselves out to be, you know, quote unquote authors. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were setting ourselves out primarily to be readers who are desperately in love with these books and we want to talk about it somehow. Um, 
Yeah, so I feel like uh, it was it is easier when you don't have your sort of ego tied up in the business of being the creator of something. Right, right. Um, uh, yeah, but obviously it's it's scary <laughs> when it's out in the world and people might read it and they'll be like, "Yeah, you were so wrong. You thought you were being funny, but right." <laughs> Well, that's that's the scary thing, right? If you remove the ego, then there's there's fear. <laughs> ego is just a good way to pretend that you're not afraid. So that's that's that's, mm-hmm. that's pretty interesting. And you were doing this like you said this was like four or five years ago. Is that when you said it was? We were writing it. Well, we started writing it in uh, 2012. It came out in 2000, 2016, not because the manuscript took that long. I just want to put it out there. Right. right. <laughs> we had the manuscript but for various reasons. We were all traveling. We were in other parts of the, in different parts of the world. So right. the book came out in 2016. But um, yeah, it, it, I don't know. It, it just, it happened quickly, partially because we didn't, yeah, I feel like we didn't have that that ego thing. But obviously, you want it to be good. Yeah. Um. But yeah, think I think just, I think you're right. Yeah, I mean, so do you think that? I mean, maybe because it was a co-authoring experience, right? Like there were people with you. Mm-hmm. Maybe I guess since you were all in it together, you were like, I guess we're we. I mean, we signed up for this. You don't have to bring in all the personal insecurities into it because you're like I guess I guess he's not he's okay with it she's okay with it maybe I'm also okay with it <laughs> that might have been it I think that that was it I yeah I think really? that yeah the fact that it was a that the fact that it was a collaborative project really right. really helped right. because you know you don't have this a I think the idea of like some lone genius working in a we were so far away from that sure yeah. Sure. Um, yeah. Because we were like workshopping this stuff, and uh, we were meeting every weekend. We were talking about it. Yeah, I feel like it took it took a lot of the pressure off. Um, um, also, because well, we really liked each other's companies, and it was like a group of you know you you meet a group of friends um, sure, yeah, who sure. were passionate about the same writers, the same books, uh, but in different ways. Yeah. And then it just yeah. ends up it it was. I think because the writing of it was a fun exercise that we didn't really like. Uh, yeah, it it saved us from like becoming too tied up in the idea of is this going to be good. Um, yeah. Uh, that's very cool. I I kind of well when I was uh, professionally stalking you, I read this whole thing about Invisible Diaries. I read a review of it, which was uh-huh. my way of doing like a cliff notes. But uh-huh. the reviewer was like it was on scroll. And I uh-huh. was, the review was so good. I was like, I don't understand mm-hmm. what is happening because I rarely <laughs> read a review this detailed. And I was like, I think I know, I know even less about this story than I did before I started reading this review because the review just made me want to find out what it was. And then I was like, I don't, I'm, I'm talking to you in a couple hours. There's no way I can read a whole book. And Amazon wouldn't deliver it that quickly either. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's that's my. Experience. I love that review because you know this book has this. I think part of the way, part of because it was written with the spirit of like, oh, we all love books, right. and we're these like massive nerds who are gonna like make all these like references to all these works that we've read. 
And then I feel like it inspires the same feeling in like whoever reads it. They're just like, wait, yeah. I have a few things to like add to this. <laughs> no, I, th- I think that's very cool. Like to, and because, okay, when I first read the title, it was called Invisible mm-hmm. Diaries. I thought oh. it was, I thought it sorry, was, sorry. what? Oh, I'm sorry to interrupt you. Uh, it's Invisible Libraries. Invisible Libraries. What did I say? In- Invisible Diaries. Oh, Good, because I I thought I said that I said I thought I said libraries, but I do that a lot. I I I have voices in my head that translate it wrongly, just to make me feel like I'm smart. Yeah, that does not sound strange at all. (laughs) So when I read, it's a good thing I can edit this. It's not live. It would be weird if this was like a radio show, because then I'd be like, oh no, I I I was I would get so self conscious on a radio show like. I made a mistake and then the, for the remaining of the of the talk I'd just be thinking like 10% of my thoughts would be I made a mistake you know <laughs> thank <laughs> so, god for editing exactly so when I first read the title uh, invisible libraries I thought that I I my first thought was because titles are you know titles are important I'm always mm-hmm. the, I'm I'm always a I'm always on the side of like you should judge everything by what does someone decides to call it that's why like mm-hmm. when i write something the title is the first thing i write because if i don't have if i don't have a title i i feel like it's worthless i i need to know what it's going to be called so uh-huh. so when i first read the title i was like oh i think it's like a it's like a cautionary tale about how we basically don't give a shit about reading anymore and uh-huh. and everyone is on iPhones and iPads so I was like, that sounds like something that's going to make me feel sadder about the fact that I don't read much anymore. Because I, then I looked inward and I was like, when was the last time I finished a book? And, uh-huh. and then I tell myself that, oh, like most of my job is reading, is, 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 <laughs> is supporting a digital storytelling platform. So I can't uh-huh. really be like, I love books because I don't want people to read them really. <laughs> I want them <laughs> to stick to, I'm like, no, you can save, save the planet, you know, don't buy books. But uh-huh. I will endorse yours, of course. Yeah. We'll keep, Thank you. We'll keep me saying that part. And there's a library in there called the Library of Google. Okay. This very clever. <laughs> this is actually about this set of like uh, this library where um, um, much like Google, uh, the library suggests books to you right. and like it, it'll throw books and on your like screen based on your reading preferences or the things you like um and then like that's the and then well the one of my the co-author uh who who wrote that was trying to make a point about how that would take away from the you know the joy of accidentally discovering something yeah, because yeah. everything is going to be shaped by your reading history which honestly Completely. Yeah. Oh my God, I would have only read really, really crappy books in my life if some library somewhere in the world decreed that I could only read books based on the stuff that I'd already read because for a really lo- large part of my life, I was reading terrible, terrible fiction. I was reading <laughs> Daniel Steele. I was reading Sidney Sheldon. But did you all- really think it was terrible when you read it? Because you didn't no, have I like didn't. a you didn't have a frame of reference. <laughs> I didn't. And I love those. I love those books because they got they you know I got hooked thanks sure. to uh, to those to 
yeah, to those novels. And and interestingly enough, um, well, you know, you learn more than one thing from reading. In my case, I I discovered other books through reading. So the first time that I heard of Kafka mm-hmm. was was through a Daniel Steele book called The Gift, in right. which one of, one of the one of the characters who's portrayed as this really bad character because she she leaves her family because she wants to go be a writer etc and her her you know her injured isn't that, doesn't that feel close to home <laughs> it's it's terrible it is so close to home and you terrible. were you you were associating yourself with a bad character in the story yeah absolutely because i was like what's wrong with this cuz she's portraying her <laughs> as like this bad person this bad wife bad mother right. uh but one of the things um that that her you know you know this sort of like a uh, betrayed injured husband uh uses to describe her was that she used to read kafka for fun and i was like i i mean because i associated so much with the bad character i was like wow i need to read kafka right. for fun. who is kafka so i discovered kafka from daniel steel there that that's the case for like popular I... I will always like I I completely agree like I I think that I mean Google is great of course it is there's if one day Google offers to buy my company I will think about it like it's it's not like I would be like hell no but uh-huh. Google is great but there's 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 just no sense of discovery like I need to know what I need to search for if I want to use Google but what if I just want to be like when i grew up like i would watch every movie on star movies like that was my access so mm-hmm. i've seen a lot of bad what what i found out later were bad movies i grew mm-hmm. up on them and then you know you you learn that oh it's not okay to say that's a good movie oh shit like i thought this was a great movie <laughs> uh-huh. so i i can definitely relate but for me like i just feel more comfortable watching movies from the 90s than i what than i feel like watching movies from the last decade it's just mm-hmm. like maybe because it hits closer to home with those ones but yeah i'm i'm a big supporter of whatever like my, i learned how to read reading archie's comics like that was i mm-hmm. think the school didn't teach me anything i think it was like looking at archie's and looking at looking at well betty and veronica were the reason i read archie's comics at like age 4 <laughs> <laughs> i don't know why i was reading them at 4 but uh-huh. i was reading them and my sister was because my sister was reading them and then uh-huh. i first it was just frame by frame and then mm-hmm. i got into comics and i was like wait there are words inside these comics and then i started <laughs> then i started associating context with everything uh-huh. it was also where my fascination with american culture came from i i thought i thought that the america was archies arch like riverdale that's what oh, i yeah. thought america was and i wanted it to be that and i was so disappointed on day one like <laughs> it was so sad you know like who and then you're when like i went when i was 17 and it was just like you're already like oh of course the world is shit like nothing is ever like the dreams you have before <laughs> oh my god yeah. so okay That's- you <laughs> so you wrote this book and then when did you uh when did you move to the bay oh well so the barrier right uh, in 2014 and that was for Studying? That was for school, yeah. Okay. So yeah. you had two degrees in India already. Yes. And then you went to so you were 
you'd already run away as far as you could. Like yeah. you started in the north in Dehradun, <laughs> and then you went you went south with Bombay. Then you went even further. Well, you went a little more inland with Bangalore. Uh huh. And then you were like, "This isn't far enough from home." So yeah. you went to the other side of the world. I never thought of it that way, but oh my god, this is so true. <laughs> <laughs> this is really like a this. I always feel like I'm. And this is almost half therapy, but mostly for me. <laughs> but I'm glad that it's it's also helping you, even if it raises like personal demons. I think the, I think it's worth the it's worth the price. <laughs> <laughs> so you're like yeah. asking for a good story. I'm I'm like this. You know, this podcast is called Story Talking. Like I'm very proud of that title. <laughs> so I want talking to feel like a story. I'm trying to create like. Something that people have been doing forever. I'm trying to make that itself an art form, and mm-hmm. pretending like people it didn't exist before I did it. Yeah, of course. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Radio t- talking on the radio, but you can press pause. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, you. So where did you? Where did you go? How did you decide that this was the right step? Because you were, you know, you were kind of already working in what you wanted to work in, right? Yeah. Um. <clears throat> the way it happened was uh, we were. I think that we were starting to, and I, I'm I'm going to say we a lot every time I speak about Mara, partially because it's difficult for me to say I because we were collect we were a collective, and so oh, everything because we did, you have like also have voices in your head who want you to acknowledge them. Yes, it's a royal we. I mean, uh, Invisible Diaries is all like you're all of the authors, right? Like that's not. I thought that was yeah. Of course. Mm-hmm. You're also the anonymous one. <laughs> it's That's just hilarious. it's just another voice in your head. Uh that is so terrifying. Let's yeah. cut this. I out. worked on that joke. <laughs> <laughs> oh my but god. Yes, uh, continue. Um but yeah, so at Mara we were starting to work um we were starting to work a lot with women reporters and we had been doing that earlier and I feel like we sort of instinctively had a, you know, ha- had an ethics of, of gender equality. Um, but we felt like we didn't know enough. Um, and so around like, I, I think around 2013, um, uh, I decided that I wanted to, I wanted, I wanted to go and study women and gender studies. Um and then, uh, and then I uh, I got I got a Fulbright fellowship. Okay, uh, that is very cool. So that made it a super easy decision because yeah. I was like, oh great, I can do this thing that I feel like is the next step for me in terms of work because I was, you know, I was being drawn to women's stories and I felt like I needed more of a more of a grounding in feminist methodology. Partially because a lot of the stuff that we were doing was research. Um, and so, yeah, and then the Fulbright happened. And then I came to I came to the U.S. in 2014 uh, to do a master's in women and gender studies uh, at San Francisco State University. Um, so that happened. Mm-hmm. And um, I graduated from the program in 2016. And then I decided to work uh, with 
this organization called Independent Television Service, mm-hmm. which which produces and supports uh, independent documentary films. Uh, they have a their mission is is kind of diversifying the kinds of voices right. that exist in independent media. So yeah, I, within that, I was working on a program called Women and Girls Lead. It was a program that used documentary films to talk about um, girls' education, gender-based violence, um, child marriage in in five countries. Wow. So we were using documentaries to create community conversations and try to uh, get those communities to, you know, start their own little programs around how to address those issues in their own communities. Yeah, it was like a coming full circle sort of a thing. Yeah. And you, uh, this is, that's the place where you're still working, right? Uh, no. no. Uh, I, so I stopped working for them in August. Okay. And uh, right now I am working on a documentary okay. film that I'm making with a couple of friends and I'm working on my next book project. Now that I mean, so you've been pretty much involved in 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 women's issues and telling mostly nonfiction stories about them, right? About uh, so in in these in these years of stories, and now you're working on the documentary. We can you can tell me more about it in a bit. But so far, like, if you had to say, like, what have you learned about yourself in a not in a like I think it's great to do something for other people, not in like a selfless way. But mm-hmm. I am I'm always attracted to like the selfishness of of being a storyteller because mm-hmm. people talk all the time about how selfless it is to tell stories. Uh-huh. I like to I like to get people to admit that it's it's for me it's primarily a selfish thing to do. I'm just glad uh-huh. other people get a kick out of it. But uh-huh. so how <laughs> what has it been like for you? To not only get to tell stories that you like to tell, but what has it fulfilled within you, like being able to tell these stories? Um, hmm. I feel like it fulfills this uh, this kind of like uh, slightly creepy desire to know what's going on in other people's lives more than anything else. Because uh, I, I feel like I am I have been a lifelong like reader of other people's letters <laughs> and yeah I've, so I've always had that instinct like I've always I've wanted to read other people's diaries I've wanted to read other people's letters I'm interested in other people's lives in that way not in not in a sort of like benevolent like oh yes tell me a story so you can feel better about it but but more in a oh I want to know what happened <laughs> like what drama in your life I want to know about that and I feel like if you were to talk about something that is like you know entirely just for me mm-hmm. sort of thing that I get out of this whole storytelling business is uh, like I have you know always had a super prurient curiosity and I feel like that gets satisfied that sense of what's going on with you <laughs> so it's it's all like eventually coming full circle to not getting finished stories from those life magazines. Mm-hmm, like basically. you're just like, I'm going to find every single last one of them in real life. And I'm <laughs> going to make them tell me what happened. <laughs> <laughs> basically. <laughs> the being 
a woman moving to another country where conditions are slightly better for women, but they're uh-huh. not. Of course, they're not. Like, there's which is the perfect country for women? I don't. I don't know where if there's a country where I, women have perfect I don't conditions. Think there is. <laughs> yeah, that's 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 why fiction exists because they, you know, you can write Wonder Woman in a fictional world. So uh-huh. I mean, and if there is a world like that, I think it's good for that. It's under like an invisible shield because men mm-hmm. obviously ruin it. But <laughs> what was that like to to run away to another country and? And being like figuring out who you are as a person, because I'm I'm guessing you were uh, when you moved there, you were like 23, 24, something like that. No, I was 28. OK, so I'm, I'm bad at math. <laughs> I'm a lot older. <laughs> <laughs> it's OK. You can just say yes. And, you know, people I... don't have to know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I took I feel like I took forever to do to, you know, like I. I took a year off before I decided to do my postgrad okay, and right. yeah, so I've kind of like delayed everything a little bit because um, it takes forever for me to make up my mind. Sure. Um, but no, it felt, um, I, I didn't realize that I, okay. So what I felt when I first moved to San Francisco was, was this kind of like really depressing awareness of, how much time I would spend every single day trying to avoid uncomfortable situations while I was in Bangalore or in Bombay, anywhere, actually. Because, um, and I didn't even know that I was doing it, but like unconsciously, every single morning, even just the act of like deciding what you're going to wear Mm -hmm. to work that day, uh, it would take a lot of time because you were like, oh, I really like this T-shirt. It makes me feel really good about myself. But maybe I should put a dupatta on top of it. Right. Because, you know, like all of those little things that I didn't even know that I was agonizing over and, and that it was taking a lot of my time and energy. It just mm-hmm. suddenly went away. Right. Um, and all the calculations about like, oh, okay, fine. I'm going out with my friends today. How am I going to get back? Uh, we need to be done by this time. Um, I should probably not drink. Like a lot of those things right. that you, you don't even realize that it takes a lot of your time and energy. Mm-hmm. Uh, all of that suddenly, that that was my, you know, that that's, I became super aware of like how much time and energy I used to spend on those things when I first moved to San Francisco. But by and large, I've had like a, I've had a great experience in this city. And also, I mean, of all the places that I could have lived in, uh, in the U.S., I'm super glad that I picked San Francisco because, because it's incredibly diverse yeah. and um, and just like it's just it's it's friendly. It's friendly to you regardless of who you want to be. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there's people don't have assumptions about you as soon as they see you. Kind yeah. Of yeah. The yeah, you said that you were. So is the next book that you're going to do? Is it a solo project, or like, are you taking full credit, but other people are also involved? <laughs> no, it's it's going to be a solo project. It's going okay. to be a. Oh, I feel like I'm not at a stage where I can like really talk about a lot of it because it's yeah. kind of in first first phase of development. But it's a lot more personal, and so I'm going at it on my own. Right. Time. And is it is it it's it's fiction though, right? 
it's fiction. I'm writing a novel. It feels okay. super strange to say it. Like that's so intimidating. <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's fiction. It's much harder to tell a short story because there is not. I, I mean, I in in the short stories that I love, there is not one unnecessary word. Whereas I think like like novels because they're you know you've got like three hundred pages you can slip in a few boring passages people are probably gonna like flip through it anyway. Sure. I feel like it's a lot more forgiving as a form. Mm-hmm. Uh, but story like you can't have like four bad lines you just can't. Are you are you writing ideas on your phone? Are you mm. do you like put a like I'm gonna write from you know five a.m. to three like I don't know like what's your process? Um, well, I wish I wish I had a super sort of like discipline sort of way about in which I went went through this process. But a large part of it involves staring at a blank page and freaking out. <laughs> okay. um, because I think people have different quirks about like uh, what they do when they write. But for me, the first sentence, it it has to it has to be it has to be punchy. It has to like. Uh, make me feel like, oh, you did good. <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's a that, lot of pressure to put on, like you know, ten words. I know <laughs> it's terrifying, and it's, right. it's probably not the probably not advisable to do it that way. But um, yeah, so I'll I I write on my computer. Sometimes I I write ideas on uh, in my notebook, mm-hmm. but most of it happens. Uh, on my computer and I try not to be online simultaneously right uh, which is difficult because a lot of times I need like synonyms <laughs> <laughs> or like you know the dictionary sure <laughs> um, so yeah I feel like that's that's pretty much it. And uh, in terms of like where I write, it just I feel like sometimes I used to get some really good work done at at the at my school library here at SF State. Mm-hmm. Even after I graduated, like if I had to write something, I would go to the library. I think it's something about you know you can sense the anxiety in the air and sure. everybody is like freaking out about deadlines, and you get some sort of like I don't know like weird like contact adrenaline rush. Yeah. I mean, it's full like, of, it's, the place is literally full of words, works that were completed. So no pressure, you know, that yeah, and like yeah. students were like clearly freaking out about yeah. finishing an assignment and everybody's like a little jittery on too much coffee. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that sounds disturbing, but that's like for me, the most productive work environment. <laughs> okay. uh, yeah, because the worst thing for me is just sitting on my own and writing. I need to be in a place with other people. Who okay. shouldn't speak to me, but sure, I should yeah. not be left alone. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so you mentioned uh, that you're you're right now working on a documentary. What is that about? Um, so the documentary is about um, a temple in Almora mm-hmm. uh, called the Supreme Court. So it's a temple dedicated to uh, this local deity called Golu Dev, who's known as a god of justice in that in that region. Okay. And his temples his temples are called courts. So there's a high court, but the one that I'm writing about, uh, the one that I'm making a film on, 
It's called the Supreme Court of the Region. Okay. And people basically put up their petitions to Goludev in this temple. So they will write out like whatever's like whatever they feel is unjust in their life. Uh, Or they will write out like the desires that they have and they will put it up as a letter or on a stamp paper as an official request to Goludev. And I've been looking at the letters that women in the in the region have been writing to Goludev because I feel like it gives like this incredible, incredible glimpse into Mm. what's going on in their lives. Right, right. Um, No, but it's it's uh, it's incredible because you find out so much about the sort of daily resilience that 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 just women and girls have because a lot of times the stuff they're writing about it's 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 so sad like somebody wants to like study uh mm-hmm. finish graduation and they want to study more but their folks are like no that's it for you you're gonna get married now someone is stuck in an abusive marriage and they really really want Goludev to you know take care and, the, and this guy help. is actually helping these people? Well, so the temple is set up in a way where when you enter, you see a lot of brass bells hanging from the, the ceiling. And so the story goes that once your desire is fulfilled, you come back and you offer a brass bell. So if one were to go by the number of brass bells in the temple, a lot of these wishes have been fulfilled. But oh, it's I, like a wall of fame. Like, look at all my... Co- happy clients (laughs) basically basically like that and it's interesting that you see that even before you see the letters because before you freak out about like oh my god so many people so many unfulfilled desires you see this and you're like okay that's okay somebody's taking care of it but i think that for me it's not so much whether the desires are fulfilled or not i think i think i'm interested in what the act of writing what you want can mean to you okay so you're, you're focusing on the people like just the people expressing through this form that this is what I would like to happen. Yes. And are you somehow finding these women or you're fo- like to interview them and what's, are you doing that? Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've spoken to, uh, I've spoken to quite a few women, like almost 16 women about, you know, things that they, they wanted. What is it? What, what are the, what are the desires that they have that they've asked go to they for? Um, which ones of them have been fulfilled? Um, yeah, it's 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 a it's you know it's kind of an extension of this lifelong interest sure. in like <laughs> what's going on with you. Tell me about the drama of your life. But I have to tell you this one little story, which is the most incredible letter that I read because the letters mm-hmm. are just hanging feelings. You can read other people's letters all you want in that temple. Nobody will you know question you or judge right. you. So you can imagine that, you know, this place is super interesting to me. Um, (laughs) But there was this one letter where this woman uh, is obviously having a really, really bad time with an alcoholic, abusive husband who, you know, he's really, really violent. Mm -hmm. And she's tired of him. She's been with him for years now. She's absolutely tired of him. And she kind of wants Goludev to, you know, well, she wants him to kill him. Okay. Okay. Yeah. It's Get rid of him. Yeah. 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 She's like, God, will you be my bounty killer? It's like but, a safari. Yeah. Yeah. I get it. Yeah. So <laughs> she's offering this letter uh, to Goludev, and she's, you know, given all the details of her husband, like his address, where he works, all of that, you know, sure. just so, just so 
it's super specific because you know mm-hmm. you know he'll he'll need the details sure. and then <laughs> and then just in case Goludev gets a little bit confused about this guy and somebody else who might be working in that space uh she has stapled a passport size photograph of her husband she is along clever. with this letter yeah yeah she's just like don't don't mess it up mm-hmm. when i get one chance right I'm she doesn't want the bad karma of getting someone else killed you know absolutely yeah. so yeah it's just it's <laughs> it's some really really incredible stories um yeah which That's kind of are a representation of straight <laughs> women are i mean this is um, this is i mean you could this is probably a story that was in life magazine and and now but you're the one writing you're you're helping write the final part like are you going to help fulfill this mission <laughs> are you involved is this going to become like a true crime documentary <laughs> cuz those are those are very in right now like netflix could give you like four episodes oh yeah that yeah. sounds amazing i'm going to pitch it <laughs> that no that's very cool so you you've already talked to this woman to this woman no, no. cuz she okay. i just read the letter she wasn't around oh, i would have right. loved So we don't know if this is an unresolved if this have this has been resolved. Yeah, we don't know if there's a bell attached to that letter somewhere wow. in that temple. Yeah. And does this guy charge money for this? Like what is it is he even real? First like is Goludev a real person or he's just an idea? Like letters to he, Juliet. He's 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 a local deity. He's a god. Oh, so he's not a human being who exists today. No, no, no. Okay. No. Okay. I thought this yeah. was like that makes sense oh, why people person? bring the bells like because life makes it happen and not like a individual human being. Yes, that would be some another story entirely. That explains why she went through the trouble of giving a passport size photo because you don't know what what kind of employees God has this Goludev guy. Yeah. Is, like the, the, you don't want those entities to mess it up. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, everybody's so incompetent. Yeah. That is very cool. I hope well, I hope this story somehow finds its way into your Do you have a name for this thing yet? This movie? Uh Yeah, we're tentatively calling it Kwanshi. Kwanshi. Yes. <laughs> I I like the sinister aspects of it, especially with this woman. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. That's good. Well, that's very cool. Um, so one thing that uh, I have that I I ask all the people we've had so far, and it is that I like I told you before, like we have a lot of young people that that use Launchora and listen to this. So mm-hmm. what I like to ask people is that imagine that you know there is a there is a fifteen year old uh, you listening to this. uh what would you like to communicate to that person it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be uh traveling back in time kind of thing we don't have mm-hmm. to go there but like let's say there's someone like you out there who happens mm-hmm. upon listening to this is there some sort of message or just like a there there thing that you want to communicate to these to these girls uh <laughs> no pressure we'll say cut no, out you say, thinking about it say no to drugs like i don't know uh <laughs> Well no I mean you can you can keep it creative you can keep it about creativity if if that if uh, if it's too broad yeah <laughs> No no I was kidding but uh honestly I think that as a 
if I were to be telling something like this to myself at that age, it would be that. Um, Run away? No. 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 Not yet. Not yet. (laughs) But I feel like um, what I would tell them would be: don't worry about being likable. And I say that partially because I know that I was concerned about that as a young girl. And I know that that comes in the way of being able to tell uh, a compelling story because, you know, you Mm want to make yourself sound nice or you're concerned about, you know, telling a story that might possibly hurt somebody else. I'm not saying like go like write terrible things about all the people in your life, but I'm Mm -hmm. just saying that let that not be. Right. Uh, something that you carry with you, the the pressure of being likable. Just tell the story that you want to tell, and mm-hmm. also know that the landscape of you know of uh, people being able to tell stories it's 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 opening up so much that you don't have to be you know a white guy living in the West to be an author, a storyteller. You can be who you are, and and be a storyteller. Thank you for listening to episode 12 of Story Talking. Next week, my guest will be Kit Nadato. You can already listen to his listen story called Aunt Ellie's Duster. And it will also be featured in the, the winter issue of the Storyteller, which is coming out this weekend. So if you haven't already, do check out last week's episode with Armand Kapoor. Thank you.